0: The ceiling fan lights in my bedroom flickered. I noticed that a while back, but honestly, I just kind of shrugged it off. I thought probably the light bulb was getting ready to go out or something. No big deal. But then it kept happening. It happened again, you know, the lights would kind of flicker on and off, and uh, sometimes they would kind of dim for a moment and then come back to full strength, and I thought that was strange. I, I dreaded it every time it happened because uh, I knew I was going to have to fix it. The the truth is, I was actually the one who put the ceiling fan up there. It's a-, a little bit of a taller ceiling, and so I had to get up on a step ladder and reach up real high, and I thought, well, my wiring work was not very good. Finally, one night I was uh, reading in bed, the lights flickered again, I shrugged it off one more time and I was reading and then all of a sudden, about 15 minutes later, the lights completely shut off. Nobody flicked the switch, they just went off. Great. Lord, are you trying to tell me something? Yeah, fix your ceiling fan, I think is what he said. So on a day off, I got out my tools and my stepladder. I turned off the electricity. I, I opened up the bottom of the fan, checked the wiring there. It all seemed connected. I checked the wall plate to make sure the wiring was connected there. Everything seemed to be just fine. Uh, I was just about con- uh, convinced I was going to have to go to Menards and buy a new one. But before I did that, I did what every you know handyman should probably do first. I googled it turns out that at least in this brand of ceiling fan, if you are to put in a light bulb that is higher wattage than the recommended, for instance, if you put a 60 watt bulb where it should be a 40 watt bulb recommended, it can uh, struggle when hot and it can flicker or shut down completely. I read that and I thought, no way, it cannot be that easy. But before I went and spent all the money and spent, you know, half a day, you know, up on a stepladder on my tiptoes changing the whole thing, I decided I'd give it a try. Put 40 watt bulbs or there were, I think, two 60 watt bulbs in there. It worked perfectly. It hasn't flickered once in two weeks. Maybe we're doing the same thing in our lives. Asking too much of ourselves... So that our lives are flickering or maybe even shutting down completely. I mean, we could run our maker's specifications and we could light up the whole world. But we're trying to cram too much in. We're trying to burn too brightly. Instead of living our Savior's good life, we're content living a good-looking life. Where we manage our brand without crafting our character. I wonder if you're exhausted Trying to look good instead try to live good. This month we've been exploring the the hard words of Jesus in Matthew 23. And if you brought a Bible with you today or want to look at one digitally, we'll be in Matthew 23, starting in verse 25. Uh, He's been describing here an everyday enemy that that honestly sabotages us from the inside out. We've called this enemy hypocrisy, and it it fights against God's good gift to us of, of integrity, of wholeness, of peace, of shalom. Uh, And this morning, I want to, as we look through Matthew, I want to unscrew three high-powered light bulbs that don't need to be there that Jesus saw in his contemporary Jewish leaders. Uh, They had opted to overload their circuits by, again, managing their brand instead of crafting their character. And maybe, just maybe, your life could use a little repair work too, so why don't we look Uh, Let's look at the first light bulb I think Jesus wants to remove from us. I'm going to call this 60 watts of spit and shine, okay? Look at what Jesus says. Matthew 23, verse 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee first clean the inside of the cup and dish... And then the outside also will be clean. You see, hypocrisy focuses us on the shiny outside, but only spit cleans the important inside. Now again, these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, as Frank said to us last week, these are are good people trying to do their very best to follow God's law. They have dug into the details of God's law, but... They got so lost in the specifications that they're making some bad choices. They were trying to cram more wattage into their righteousness, and instead what they were doing were shutting down completely. So, for instance, being ceremonially clean was an important aspect of God's law to the people of Israel. It presented very practical ways for God's people to live in a holy way set apart for their work and their mission in the whole world. This was a part of it. And the Jewish leaders took this seriously, but there were at least two schools of thought in the days of Jesus on how to do this. The the school of a rabbi named Shammai, for instance, said that uh, the cup, the outside of the cup, could be clean even if the inside was not, and the 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 minority party of the day, the, the school of uh, Rabbi Hillel, said, "Well, the inside of the cup has to be clean clean first; otherwise, the whole thing is unclean." In fact, later there were even writings that sought to clarify this. Uh, something in the Mishnah called Mishnah Kaleem 25 said, If the outer side of the vessel contracted uncleanness from a liquid, only its outer side is unclean, but its inner side, the rim, the hanger, and the handles remain clean. If its inner side contracted uncleanness, the whole is unclean. All vessels are subject to different laws in regard to the outer and inner sides respectively. Cleared that right up for you, right? What's the point? Why were they worried about this? Well, the point was to take great care in not becoming unclean yourself, to live a holy life for a holy God, to reflect God's light in a sin-darkened world. However, they got so so locked into cleaning their cups that they were missing something bigger. Jesus said, inside, inside, they're full of greed, and self-indulgence. Their cups were clean, but Jesus said they were full of his words, harpage and akrasia. Harpage is the strong desire to gain more, even by violent means, if necessary, to grasp and and to be greedy for more and more. These people would wheel and deal and and plunder, you know, and, and cheat to get more to take advantage of people. In fact, in Mark 12, Jesus would even say of them, they devour widows' houses and for a show, make lengthy prayers. On the inside, they were plotting how they could steal or cheat this widow out of her house. On the outside, they were self-righteously praying these public prayers. The old word for that is rapacious. And you've seen that flicker in life, probably. You've seen it. Christian businesses who put an ichthus on their advertisement only to rob you blind because you trusted their flickering faith. Politicians who proclaim faith in Jesus, but really they want your vote. Preachers who say they know what's best for you, but really they're just preaching for a paycheck, maybe even some really expensive sneakers. Okay, that's not fair. That's not fair. I don't know the situation there, but those are some really expensive sneakers. That's not fair, but let me give you a fair question. Have you seen this flicker in your life? Be honest. Don't just shrug this off. You see, the problem is not clean cups. The problem is how we obtain the contents of our cups. Uh, we, we can clean ourselves up. We can come to church. We can look all shiny on the outside, Right? But spend all week slicing, dicing people to get what we want, to get more. We can come to a church function. We can put on a smile. After we just viciously ripped apart a fast food worker for not getting our order right, we demand more. Harpage, Jesus saw flickering in these leaders and also, akrasia, a, a lack of self-control, no restraint. It was typically used for sexual immorality in the first century world, but, but maybe even for these Pharisees, it was broadened to describe this kind of sensual gratification. Uh, uh, the old word for it is wantonness, to do whatever it takes for pleasure. And I think you see that flicker all the time in Springfield, Illinois, looking exemplary on the outside, but inside, all we're doing is craving for an appetite for, uh, to fill our own appetites, I suppose. Shouting on social media, our disgust at at the treatment of the poor or the homeless, while all the while wearing a beautiful shirt manufactured by child labor in Guatemala. My shirt was made in South Korea. My pants were made in Bangladesh. I don't know how I feel about that. Decrying in our small groups the the hollowness of Hollywood, all the while putting ourselves to bed every night with some questionable content on Netflix. You, You see, it's just too much. That's just trying to cram a 60-watt bulb into a 40-watt recommended place. Your image looks great, but your soul flickers. Do you feel that? Are you exhausted trying to manage your image? God wants to offer this 40-watt fix this morning. Make your brand and your being match. So your faith doesn't flicker. Jesus wants you to be whole. The second bulb Jesus wants to remove is in verse 27, what I'll call 60 watts of bad packaging, okay? Again, to these religious leaders, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy. And wickedness. Hypocrisy focuses on beautiful packaging, but a horrible product. You see, once a year in, in the ancient world around Jesus, uh, usually on the 15th of the Jewish month of Adar, prior to Passover, uh, the graves in Israel were plastered with lime to kind of smooth out the cracks, and they were painted with a white, chalky substance. And a part of that reason uh, was to beautify the tombs, of course, but, but a bigger part had to do with the religious elite. Because you see, in the Jewish law, back in Numbers uh, 19, it taught that anyone who touched a corpse would be unclean. Again, ceremonially unclean for a week. And the Pharisees had taken that even farther. And they, they taught that not only if you touched a corpse, but if your shadow touched a corpse or even a grave, you would be unclean. And so, uh, you know, before Passover, this massive feast, they would whitewash these tombs to, so the Pharisees could avoid, you know, walking by a tomb they didn't see or didn't recognize and, and somehow having their shadow touch the tomb and becoming unclean and not being able to take part in Passover. But Jesus saw through their hypocrisy. They were glistening graves, you know, on the outside just looked beautiful and shiny and white on a sunny day, but inside, everybody knows what's going on on the inside, decaying, putrefying, rotting corpses. You know, it's like going to the grocery store. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. And you buy, you ever bought like sliced cheese in a package at the grocery store? And then you you get it home and you're making a sandwich and you put the cheese on there only to realize there's some nice green moldy speckles on that cheese. And you think, that's bad packaging. It says fresh right there on the package. It wasn't. It's bad packaging. Like some of these folks found out, somebody's grabbing a can of spaghetti sauce, and they got mixed vegetables instead. Or how about mozzarella cheese sticks with no mozzarella inside? Or how about a Hershey's Cup Stan or Hershey's Stanley Cup chocolate, and you think, man, I know what the Stanley Cup looks like. It's a you know, it's a circle, it's a whole big thing, and you get it out, and it's only half the size you thought. Or how about a chocolate chip granola bar? And maybe that's accurately you know described: chocolate chip one. Hypocrisy does the same thing. It focuses on on the packaging, but what's inside? is a horrible product. Filling Instagram with smiling photos, living your best life, hashtag blessed, while you're depressed and estranged from your family and lonely. Strenuously whitening your teeth to hide your addiction to tobacco or coffee or whatever. Going to the gym to build up your body, bulging biceps, six-pack abs, go to the tanning bed. You look great! But every time you talk to your kids, they're wounded. It is a mess. You know, today, you may not know this, today is actually National Gorgeous Grandma Day. The organizers write, maybe you call her Nana, maybe you call her Granny, but whatever the case, today's the day to tell old Granny just how stunning she really is. She looks fly for an 80-year-old. I get it. Nobody wants to look bad, but looking bad is not even the problem. Being bad is the problem. So do whatever it takes, whatever makes you feel good to to steward your body and, and to make it look good, that's fine. But even Jesus told these hypocrites to put a little oil on their faces when they were fasting. Looking good is not the issue. Looking good while being dead inside. That's too much. It's too much. God wants more for you. That duplicity is exhausting. You are made to live one life, not two. So, so maybe even this week, you need to, to drop the brand, you know? Maybe that means for you, you need to step away from social media, log off for a lot of time so you don't have to put out the pictures and the brand and make everybody think Something different of you. Maybe it would be freeing for you, you know, one day this week, not to wear makeup or not to dress to the nines, you know, and and just step away from that. Maybe you really need to be honest with someone you trust about how you're really feeling in life. Just drop the charade and get real. Because God's 40-watt fix for this problem in our lives is to make the brand and our being match so that our faith doesn't flicker. Because Jesus wants us to be whole. One final bulb Jesus wants to remove in verse 29 is what I'm going to call 60 watts of glossing over our past. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, he said. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous and you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then. And complete what your ancestors started. See, hypocrisy focuses, I think, on impressing people with our right stances while glossing over our real past. There was nothing wrong with these Pharisees and these teachers of the law decorating the tombs of their ancestors, you know? There's nothing wrong with that. But I wonder who was watching. And did they do it for show? Because after all, they had a couple of prophets walking in their very midst, John the Baptist, Jesus himself, and they couldn't, they, they were doing everything in their power to get rid of them. And maybe that's because it is quite safe to honor a prophet who no longer challenges us. You know, we can always look to our own past and say, well, I would never have done what those people did to that person. But do we know that to be True. Hypocrisy allows us, I think, to loudly stand on the right side of history as long as the crowd is chanting the same thing. But when a prophet challenges that history or challenges our past, that's a different thing. It's much more realistic, Frederick Dale Bruner writes, to see ourselves among history's guilty than among its heroes. I mean, in our own day, we, we can easily imagine ourselves that we would have joined the civil rights prophets of a generation ago, especially as we live in a world now among the statues of Martin Luther King Jr., I would have been with him. Or it's easy to say, I would have been among them as we walk among bridges named or being named after congressmen, Ah, but would we? And, and what do we say to pressing uh, those pressing us to consider civil rights today for oppressed you know, child workers in the developing world, or speaking out on behalf of poor immigrants who enter our country and have massive barriers to legal citizenship, or are shipped to faraway cities and dropped on doorsteps, often for political theater. What, what then? With one breath, we honor Lincoln's emancipation of the slaves, and the next breath, we criticize the movie that speaks of child sex slaves. Like father, like son. Jesus said to these religious leaders. Is that true for us too? Are we glossing over the sins of our fathers and acting like we don't commit the same thing today? I think it's with some weariness that Jesus finally says to his religious opponents, go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. They were so steeped in their hypocrisy that Jesus can see only one way forward. They're going to kill him. Why in the world is Jesus in such a bad mood? My goodness, this is not Jesus meek and mild in this chapter. This is Jesus with a scalpel, surgically cutting apart these people. Why? Why tear them up in this way? Because their light stopped shining, and God's people were in shadows. Why does Jesus so viciously attack our own hypocrisy? Why won't he leave us alone? Same reason, he wants more for you. He can't bear to watch your faith flicker and your life be snuffed out into the darkness. He can't stand to watch you overextend yourself day after day after day, putting forth this image, putting forth this, this picture when you're dying on the inside every day. That's why he offers this 40-watt fix. Make the brand and your being match so your faith doesn't flicker. Jesus wants you to be whole. Don't settle for anything less. Let this prophet Jesus repair you so you'll shine from the inside out. Ben Franklin Franklin once told the story of a man who who purchased a hand-forged axe from a blacksmith. You may have heard the story. He on top of this sturdy wooden handle, there was this iron head, but it was kind of a, uh, covered in this dusty gray carbon. Everything was, was dusty except for the edge of the axe blade. It had been uh, shined by the blacksmith down, and it was silver and beautiful, and this man wanted to buy it. Uh, he liked the blade so much, but he asked the, the, sand, the blacksmith to, to sand off the rest of the gray carbon so that the whole axe head would shine, and the blacksmith agreed but only if the man would help turn the sharpening wheel. And so as the blacksmith pressed the head of the axe against the stone, the man began to turn the wheel to make it work. But the job was far more difficult than he imagined. It just wore him out. And so after just a few minutes, the man stopped. And when he checked the progress, he was disappointed to see that the axe head was not completely shiny like he hoped it was. It was, it was speckled. There were some parts that were sooty. There were some parts that were shiny and And yet the man announced that he'd take the axe head home, he'd take the axe uh, as it was. And the blacksmith said, no, 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 Keep, keep turning, keep turning, we'll get it shiny, this will be beautiful. Right now it's still speckled, but the man said, yeah, 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 but I think I like a speckled axe best. It's funny how fast we can settle on a speckled life, a hypocritical life. We might see all our sooty spots and long for something shiny, but boy, pressing our life against the stone of Jesus' grace and his holiness, it's hard work. It takes commitment, it takes a long time. Rather than just keep sanding away, keep working, keep walking with the Savior, we find it easier to convince ourselves we really just wanted a speckled axe the whole time, a speckled life. But don't settle for a speckled axe or a flickering ceiling fan light. Come to Jesus today. Confess that kind of double life. Confess tomorrow. Ask for His help. Confess next week. Come back again. Come back to our Maker's recommendations to His Word again and again, no matter how challenging, and find His cleansing light. And you might just find that with time, your life, the inside will match the outside. And your brand and your being will match beautifully. It takes a Savior to get us there. But stick with Him, even through the sparks, and you'll shine as good as new. Flickers will be a flaw of the past. Father, I pray today that You would make us whole. Our sin has uh, covered us up, and and Lord, our, our desire typically is to try to rebrand ourselves to look the image of the perfect life but Lord Jesus we have more trust in you than that we know you could cleanse us from the inside out we pray that you would do that this week and Lord any secrets that we're hiding any, any sin that we've just buried down deep and have settled on Lord would you would you break through for us would you help us to, to conquer those things to lean on you as our Savior and to and to fight to do the hard work of living in your way. And Lord, may the world around us see that what's inside, what you have touched, is actually who we are. In Jesus' name, amen.